Welcome to this edition of Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. Bubba, today uh, we're going to jump in uh, to the ongoing, um, it seems to be inability to to figure out all this information or lack of information involving COVID-19 and now, of course, the Delta variant. Uh, so uh, today we'll be talking with Dr. David Williams, uh, graduated from Baylor University, has a BS in biology, uh, also a medical degree from the University of Oklahoma in 95. Did you hear about the SEC that Oklahoma may become? I, I, I did hear. Uh, and also has completed family practice residency at the University of Alabama College of Community Health Sciences in 98, wrote his first letters to senators in March 2020, arguing against the negative effects of potential lockdowns. Now, the last time he was here, we talked about that, and I will say this, uh, Dr. Williams, your concerns were legitimate. Uh, the, the lockdowns have not worked around the world. Uh, they have not worked here, and we are all hoping and praying we don't make that mistake again. Let's at least learn from the last time. So, But today we kind of want to uh, not talk about where we've been. We want to talk about where we are and, and, and where we may go. And uh, you, you have provided a, a lot of studies to us to look at concerning uh, the Delta variant, uh, concerning uh, the vaccine, uh, natural antibodies, and we just want to kind of unpack uh, all those things that we keep hearing on the big show during the week. Well, I would, I would love to do that with you guys. I'm really excited about the opportunity. Um, I want to expand my qualifications just a little bit. Okay. Uh, the last time we were here, I told you I did wellness medicine. I, I wasn't necessarily treating infected patients as much anymore because that was you know, part of my history. Um, but part of wellness medicine is, of course, prevention. And I was trying to prevent the disaster we've seen from the shutdowns and shutting down schools and what's happened to our children. And that was what I felt like could be most effective at that time. But around August, um, I felt led by God to say, you know what, you're going to have to get back in the fray. You're going to have to treat people because nobody else is treating these people properly. They're, they're, properly. There are ways to treat these individuals, and that's not being done. So I've currently treated a little under 300 patients personally. Uh, anyone I treat within the first three days to this point has never been to the hospital. It doesn't mean they haven't been scared. doesn't mean they haven't been short of breath. It's been a war for some of them, but I've kept them out of the hospital. Um, and I've gone to people's houses to set up updrafts and done injections and stuff like that. I've done it all free of charge. I've never charged a COVID patient. So the reason I think my qualifications matter this time, last time I was like, it's not about me, it's about the information, Right. is it's hard to find a motivation other than I just want to help. If I've done all that for free, I'm doing it to try and help. Dr. Williams, let, let's start right there. Let's talk about patients you're seeing. How are you treating them and, and how are you having success with it? Okay, so um, August of last year, um, I contracted COVID. And at that time, I was already interested in the treatment. So um, hydroxychloroquine was, was something I had already found research on. I'd seen other people on YouTube promoting it. That's where I started. Uh, I was the first patient I treated with hydroxychloroquine. And I used that throughout December. But in December, Dr. Pierre Corey with the Frontline Critical Care you know, COVID Alliance, uh, he went and spoke in front of the uh, testimony in front of the Senate. Mm -hmm. It was very powerful. And I said, I've got to look into ivermectin. And without question, um, what I've seen with ivermectin, zinc, doxycycline, vitamin C, vitamin D, uh, nasal saline rinses, and aspirin has been dramatically effective. And often, you know, they're better within 24 to 48 hours. Now, I didn't say every time, but often within 24 or 48 hours, they are really significantly better, um, and so that is what I use. Now, ivermectin, who, which we, I'm not saying it right, but that's close as I'm going to get. <laughs> got it. Here on the show, we, we have joked about that was the horse medicine. Remember that 
there was a run on it, and you had to, to find somebody to co-op to get it for you at one time, and we had we had that discussion. I won't go into it today. But but tell us a little bit how – do I understand that medicine helps to slow down the viral load, the multiplication of the virus in your system, giving your immune system a chance to fight it, right? Is that how that works? That is one of the ways in which ivermectin works. Now, hydroxychloroquine and zinc are, are, are both effective in terms of helping stop replication or slow replication. But, but one of the things that makes ivermectin even more powerful is in addition to that, it helps neutralize the spike protein and reduces inflammation. So ivermectin is in the field of, in, in, uh, we call them repurposed drugs. We've taken drugs that say, okay, what, what's right. another use for them? Right. We've repurposed them and used them. Uh, worldwide, the, the data has been very good for it. Um, and that's, you know, that's where I start. And then, of course, if I need to add something, you know, the, the key to this, this whole disease is don't let the inflammation get too bad, all right? And so, then your own so, body fights that, and that's really where people were, were losing their lives. Exactly. It was actually your own body that, that kills you with this disease right. if you let it go too far, um, which by definition makes the whole premise of do nothing until you're so sick you go to the hospital to be the complete opposite thing of what you want to do for this disease. You, you want to treat this disease early and get on top of it. And then early, you don't want to use steroids because you want to let your body fight it. But, you know, day four, five, six, preferably five, six, seven, if I've got somebody who still feels bad or they're short of breath or whatever, then I can add a, a steroid like Decadron and usually improve that. It's kind of a, a two-half disease, right? You, you want to treat the first half one way, the second half another and, and that's been what we have learned over the process, right? Yeah, that's, that- a, that's an excellent way to put it. And uh, like I said, we're, we're going to be putting out some information soon about kind of how to treat it or how our approach has been. But, but you definitely, I kind of adapt as we go. And um, I've got a phone full of, you know, it's basically telemedicine you use for COVID, particularly if you've got a clinic like mine where I treat hundreds of healthy people. It, it's not really fair to bring sick people into that environment. So most of mine is, is COVID is treated on the phone, but, but you've got kind of these text series. And then, you know, based on, you know, how this person did here, I'll add this or, you know, and it, it just goes like that. But, but you're definitely right. There's, there's sequences you go through and a different step. How do you like the new antibodies infusion uh, uh, treatments? Yes, I have used those as well. Uh, I use them more frequently back when I was using hydroxychloroquine. And, and the thing about hydroxychloroquine, it, it's actually a really good medicine, but you almost have to start before you know you're sick. If you really want it to work, you almost have to start before you know you're sick. So in the past, if I had an 85-year-old and I started treating with hydroxychloroquine, I put the wife on it. And the wife might get sick, but it was usually very mild. Um, but so if I got them day three, four, sometimes it was a little late to see a, a significant change, and then I would add in the, the antibodies. I've rarely had to do that now that I have ivermectin. But you're making a point that we talked about on the show, and you seem to be con- uh, affirming that and confirming it, is and it, and it kind of has me perplexed because this round we're not like we don't know what this is it's a variant but we still know this virus right and and what i don't understand because i have friends that i know uh, that are acquaintances of mine that are in intensive care as we speak yes and every single one of them did not have the vaccine and did not have antibodies okay, okay. but the third thing is none of them were treated they early, waited. and they, they, waited. Ma- they waited to the second half, and yeah. now they're chasing the double pneumonia, yeah. and they're trying to keep their lungs from killing them, 
uh, and they're they're now they're they're you're trying to keep them off the vent. What's the other thing they use now that tries Bi-pap, to keep them ECMO, BiPAP, yeah, the BiPAP. ECMO and stuff like but, that. But I mean, yeah. when they don't start treating them till they've got double pneumonia. Yeah, and, and and I don't understand that because it seems that we have so many treatments now that we didn't have before. Yeah, we have great uh, la- research on the treatments, mm-hmm. and they're available mm-hmm. to every doctor. Uh, it's not like we don't have them anymore. Mm-hmm. Why we're not aggressively? I mean, the minute you are symptomatic and positive. On, on the COVID test, why we're not aggressive on the front end like you're doing. Because yes. it seems to be Dr. McCullough, Peter mm-hmm. McCullough, yeah. we, we, we heard his interview. We've seen his research, which is extensive, mm-hmm. and his credentials are extensive. Yes. Uh, and, and every doctor we've talked to says, this guy's not a quack. No, he's not. But now he's saying things that aren't very popular, mm-hmm. uh, but, but, but you can't say he doesn't know what he's talking about. Correct. And, and I think where we're all confused is you'll see doctors with equal credentials say two different things, and yeah. that's confusing all of us. Uh, but but why, why why wouldn't a medical doctor do what is working to keep people out of intensive care? And I know you can't think for them. Yeah. I'm just saying, l- yeah. let me rephrase that question because that's not fair. Do you think that's the right approach? Obviously, you're doing it. Well, obviously, I think the right approach is treat it early. And and I actually have written four papers on COVID. I know you've read two of them. Yeah. Um, both All of my papers, by the way, are extensively cited. The first two, I just kind of told you where to find it. But but the third and fourth, uh, one is called the question of mask, and the fourth one was called hydroxychloroquine and the outpatient treatment of, of chrono, coronavirus or COVID-19. I can't remember the exact title. Uh, but but those are both, you can just click on it. You know, here's your article that tells you this is true or whatever. Um, now, ironically, after I finished the, the hydroxychloroquine article, I switched to ivermectin within within a month. So so it kind of became obsolete as far as the treatment. But the, the principles behind it are still valid. And, and the paper still has validity in explaining some of the kind of the strange attacks that hydroxychloroquine endured, endured and that sort of thing. I have no explanation for why you wouldn't treat it early. That, that's kind of what I just went over for the whole time so far is it needs to be treated early. Yeah. Um, so I, I think the only thing you can tell is that, you know, the 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 powers that be uh, have to be approached and they have to, to listen. And, and all I can do is, is approach with information and, and some listen and some do not. Dr. Williams, back to what Rick was talking about. You, you see where there is confusion and, and loss of confidence in the public, which I think translates into why some people are not doing this or doing that. When you have like it was what was the doctor Rick Hammonds uh, that you just the A and M doctor what was his name McCullough uh, Doctor McCullough McCullough Peter, Peter McCullough yeah. right you have him saying some of the same things you're saying you have like Doctor Sag who we've had on from UAB who we have great respect for very respected uh, and they're saying 180 degrees different now in science to me you can't have follow the science when it says 180 degree difference. Mm-hmm. Somebody is dead wrong. Yeah. So yeah. how how are people like me and Rick that just are C students supposed to? And we have great confidence in these men and you and other doctors we know and our doctor we see. But we're hearing all this range of stuff. What are we supposed to do with that? Well, I I, I, I find that to be very difficult for the layperson, and frankly, it's difficult for for the doctors. There, there has to be many doctors who aren't treating it as I would treat it because they're hearing different things from from what they consider the experts. Um, But um, the thing that's funny is if you look at, you know, Dr. Peter McCullough, uh, his credentials are completely, utterly, you know, 
they stand for themselves. You, you can't really question where he's coming from. Scott, Scott Jensen from Minnesota, the 2016 Minnesota Family Physician of the Year. Um, these are there's lots of people. Uh, Robert Malone, you know, inventor of the mRNA. Yeah, yeah, the, the, these the are, patent holder. These are big time people <laughs> who are saying the same things that that we're saying. So so the reality is, um, you have to kind of go with with. The, the data and the research, and that's one of the reasons that all of my papers are extensively cited. Um, I have found in conversations with doctors particularly, uh, let's just throw masks out there, all right? Well, that, and we know, want to come back. We want to take masks. Let's do that. All right. So we're, we're going to open the mask door. Okay. Uh, when we come back on Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. Our guest today is Dr. David Williams. He's also uh, a part of Physicians for Alabamians. He is from the state of Alabama. Uh, and, and this is uh, what we've been talking about. There are groups of, of medical doctors. I know in the society we live in now they say follow the science, but only the scientists that we approve of, uh, <laughs> that we have people of equal credentials uh, that see the same studies, right? They're not hidden. Nope. We have a ton of information now because we've done a year and a half of, of trying to combat this pandemic with COVID-19. We now have a variant, which we'll get into before we're done. And here comes the mask issue. Uh, we just talked about in the last segment that it, it is your professional opinion, as it is others. You're not alone that say, I think now what we know, let's, let's treat uh, the variant uh, in any, I don't know that the original, we, we've just about eradicated Alpha. It, alpha, but, yeah. but whatever it is, we want to treat that with all these treatments that we are aware of, and let's get aggressive on the front end. Let's not wait till double pneumonia, then start going from there. Uh, but then we get into the like right now the variant is is is, is we got a, we got an uptick, and so the first reaction is here come the mask again, and the mask have been highly debated on their effectiveness. Even Fauci himself in some of his emails, you clearly see him saying to a friend of his, the run of the mill mask doesn't really do anything. Now we we have to pretend he didn't say that now. Uh, but but I want to be political with it. I want to talk about science. Yes. So w- what do we know about masks? Well, you know, there are, the thing that's funny is that in 2020, you've been asked to believe lots of things <laughs> that were not true at any point in history before 2020. Right? And, and the things that were very well established, and, and we'll probably cover more than one. But the first one is the idea that masks are effective for respiratory illnesses in the general population. All right? That not only has been studied extensively, but it's at the highest level of, of scientific research. And uh, one of the things I've done, uh, the last time I got done with the podcast, I saw a lot of comments, hey, where is he, you know, where is he getting his data, that sort of thing. So I've, I've sent you a lot of it. You yeah. guys have it. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to try to to make sure that as we we get through here, I, I find you know places we can put it where people can find it. Uh, we want to share data, and frankly, I love conversations. I love talking to an infectious disease doctor who has a different opinion. I, I love to hear. We need to have those conversations. We need to have those conversations. And one of the worst things about this is you know it, it, the conversations don't ever start. They they end before. They're like mask work. All right. Well, masks actually don't work. And I'm willing to say that on air because I sent you guys a 45-page document that goes through study after study after study at the highest level of science that says they don't work. I also sent you something from the CDC, which are they're called retrospective observational studies. Hey, we found this instance where they wore them in a, in a, in a daycare and they didn't get sick. Or we wore them in a, in a uh, you know, hairdresser's place and they didn't get sick. That, that's not science in terms of like a controlled study. 
And, and actually, they've done a controlled study uh, on masks in Denmark. Over 6,000 people were involved, and they found that they did not prevent transmission of, of SARS-CoV-2. Yeah, and, that, and that study he sent us is about 45 pages long. It is 45 pages. It's, per, it's and pretty it, extensive. But it's also list study after study within it that, right. that backs up his points. Uh, so, Dr. Tell, tell me this. On the mask thing, and like I said, I saw the CDC when they quote 13 different studies that say mask absolutely limited transmission. We have to go back. I know the virus is smaller than what a normal mask would stop. Uh, an N95 is more what you would be required. Sure, and, sure. By the way, most people are not using the N95 because if you ever tried to breathe through one, it's like breathing through a bag. <laughs> unless I mean, there's you, just not a lot there. Unless you want to paint your car. Yeah, yeah if, you're a, if you're a painter, you've had, a, you've had an R100 on. Yeah. So why is there such a discrepancy in this? I mean, how can... Again, I go back to the scientific method. It seems like we all ought to be on the same page and be able to produce the same results. Uh, why is it is that the case? And are these mass studies is 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 it based on a cloth mask, an N95, or I mean, we see doctors and nurses wearing them today, mm-hmm. and and even before COVID in the hospital, in surgeries and that kind of thing. Well, well sure, in, in surgeries, you're actually not trying to prevent viral transmission; you're trying to prevent getting anything in the field. Right. So that's a very different purpose for the mask, and that's perfectly appropriate. Um, and frankly, you know, if if people feel you know qualified or feel like they should wear a mask, I, I'm I'm not going to keep them from doing right. that. Uh, but I think it's misleading to tell the public, you know, if you wear this, you're actually going to lower your chance of catching COVID. I'll what about you, broadcasting it? If I'm if I'm carrying it and I don't know it, does it help to knock the water droplets down or prevent as many from getting out or, or any well, of that? Is there any positive to this? Have you seen the, the videos where people go outside in the in the snow and they blow out and the you know water just goes all around the mask. Right. And then they put on a second mask and it goes right around. You know, the reality is if it's aerosolized, that's not going to make any difference. But I'm going to be honest with you. This is why I think masks make it worse. All right. Number one, you can see and you've seen it. I know you've seen it. It's called masne. People that have acne around their face that they didn't have before. All right. That is a proven. You can see it with your own eyes. There's a problem there. We're concentrating bacteria and viruses around your face and nose. Is that a good idea? Nose, mouth, face. I don't think that's a good idea. And plus, with I see that inflammation. What did we talk about earlier? It's like try to avoid inflammation with this disease. Right. So let's go ahead and just give them inflammation before they start. And let's lower their oxygen a little bit. Hypoxia, another thing you don't <laughs> want with this disease. So now we've got lower oxygen. We've got a higher fighting load. And you can see all this with your own eyes. And I think that's, that's, that's good enough evidence. But here's, here's one that I have never used publicly before. But it, it's an absolute happen. To, uh, so I go to this meeting. And they're going to serve food. And now, two years ago, I'd have got my own food. But this time, i got to wait for the guy, all right? He's got a glove on. He touches his pants. He touches his mask. He touches his forehead. And then he touches the food, all right? So I think the problem is that you're never going to be able to teach enough human behavior to make any of that stuff help. Reliable. Because the ones you help... Then you got these other people who are making it worse, and they wear their masks for days on end, and then they touch them in the grocery store, and they put it on a Chips Ahoy, and they say, I'm not going to buy that Chips Ahoy, and the next guy picks it up. And, and I just think there's real-world real illustrations that it, you know, it just doesn't work that way. And, and on that point, too, I've seen people, and, and this has never been said that you should do, I've seen people because of the fear running at a park, running with a mask on. Hmm. 
And 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 I I know enough to know that's dangerous. Yeah. I mean, unless you're some world class marathon runner and you're trying to, yeah. I you have know, trouble yourself, breathing yeah. without a mask because <laughs> you're putting yourself under duress yeah. while you're running. To your point, and then another thing that I think you talk about just the common sense of it. I keep one in my truck because if I can't, if I need to walk through a door, and we had a comedian on that said apparently. We found out with COVID nineteen, it's altitude. If you just sit down, you don't catch it. <laughs> and uh, it, we should have all been rolling around in wheelchairs, saying we're safe. We're below the limit. Yeah. So yeah. I walk through with the mask, and I go sit down and take it off. Take it off. Yeah. But but anyway, is and I keep it in my truck just because I don't want you know I don't want, I don't want to go in and say sure. oh, okay, where am I? I understand. I, but how many times do you think I wash it? You don't. Nobody you, does. You know why? Because I'd have to wash it every day. Yeah. Now, does anybody can honestly say they wash their mask every single day no. and put a clean one on every day? No. So what all is it catching, just That's laying right. around? Well, you know? there's, there's, I didn't send you this one yet, but I can find it and send it to you. But there are studies that show you exactly what it's catching, and, and absolutely, it's been documented. But the thing is, I actually found that study prior to, like, in my, in my, in my paper, The Question of Masks, you can link on a study from prior to 2020 that says, okay, what happens to a mask? Does, does things concentrate on the outside? And I, and it's, it's it's been done. We know that, that viruses and bacteria concentrate on them. And if you're not going to wash them for days on end, yeah, and, and you're not alone. And people, they find them on the floorboard of their car and whatever. Uh, it's pretty clear that that's not a good idea. Well, and you won't be surprised about this as, as a doctor. The pharmacists that I know, they have been laughing about this from the very beginning. The pharm- I have pharmacist friends they are saying this is totally – the particles – are so tiny yeah, yeah. that this this mass thing is is nothing but something for show, it, it, and then I think the other side of it is it gives you a false confidence, as you said, to do things you probably wouldn't do if you didn't have it on, because you think you're bulletproof. Yeah, and I do know this. You know, I I I told you I'm back into treating infectious disease because I felt called to do that, um, but I treated infectious disease for years, 15, 20 years. And I never wore a mask, and I never got sick. And people were like, man, it's amazing that you never get sick. But, but I wore a mask for one month in July, one month. I felt terrible the entire time, caught COVID in August. And uh, I, you know, I'm not saying it was directly responsible, but I'm telling you, I felt bad the entire time. And I wasn't even treating sick people. Right. And I came down with COVID in August. All right, let's, let's come back. we got other things and, to discuss. We want to, we want to slide over into social distancing. Yeah, talk yeah. about all the we things want to talk we about used to social distancing. And then we're going to get the vaccines at the end. We want to talk vaccine, <laughs> and we want to talk about natural antibodies. Because yep. for some reason, the organic free-range antibody people, there's three of us in the room right now, mm-hmm. uh, we have been told things that we know aren't true because we've just had all of our antibodies checked. Yep. So we know what we were told isn't true. Right. Uh, so we'll come back and we'll jump into some of that when Rick and Bubba University, the podcast continues. All right, so Bubba, we, we all know that we are big, big proponents of protection here on the program. People should be able to protect themselves. And, and the folks at Axon have really come up with, with maybe, because you know what you think about, there are a lot of things that can go wrong with maybe people that are not experts with a gun. Uh, and they still want to be able to protect themselves, but some of the things that can go wrong with a gun if I'm not that well-trained on it. But w- what's another option? Well, if protecting your family is your number one priority, but you want to do it safely, the people at Taser uh, believe the, that safer self-defense is better than self-defense that, that you're not trained to do. Uh, so Taser's line of non-lethal self-protection devices, they're small, they're lightweight enough to carry with you or in your glove compartment or, ladies, to carry it in your purse. Uh, they are powerful enough uh, to knock down uh, an attacker and made it, make that impossible for the attack to continue. 
guns do carry uh, risk, and we all know this, and, and those around you. Even pepper spray can harm you as much as the attacker, and it's often ineffective. Taser products are safer and they're easier to use. And here's how they work. They use an electric charge to immobilize attackers for up to 30 seconds, allowing you time to escape and send emergency dispatch to your GPS location. Taser devices come loaded with features like laser-assisted targeting, emergency dispatch built into the taser, uh, which will send the response uh, teams to your GPS location upon firing it. More than 237,000 lives have been saved with the Taser network of devices, apps, and, uh, and personnel. Uh, so if you would like to find out more, uh, you, can, you can own a, a Taser device, the number one choice of law enforcement agencies for yourself. Protect yourself and your family with Taser's line of smart self-defense products. Here's how you do it. Taser devices are available without a permit in most states. Get the Taser Plus Plus or Taser Strike Light or and get either one of these. There's two different kinds at Taser, T-A-S-E-R dot com. Use the promo code Bubba and you're going to save 15%. Taser.com, promo code Bubba and save 15%. Restrictions apply. See their site for all the details. Welcome back to Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. Dr. David Williams, we've talked with him about uh, treating the virus with the uh, treatments that we now have available early and being more aggressive to keep people out of uh, uh, intensive care, and he's seen great results with that. We've also talked about masks and, and some of the studies that have been done that show they're not that effective, if effective at all. Uh, and now we want to talk about, before we get to, some, get to antibodies and the vaccine, social distancing. Doctor, let me share this with you, and and we were looking at this information from the CDC and the National Institute of Medicine, and they're using averages. Tell me what you think about this. They say on average, as we go to work, we come in contact with 50 people a day, okay? They say that the the rate of infection with COVID-19 and the variants, what we have so far, is about 2%. They say you are able to transfer that to somebody over a four-day period. So if, and if you, if you play those numbers out, that means you can infect one person a day or four people over a four-day period. So you have one person infecting four, you see how that could grow. They say if you limit your contact, if you just knock it down to 45 people, that means that you could only infect, uh, infect some uh, 0.1 people per day or 0.4 people over that four-day period. So if you play the numbers out on that, if you go your normal activity, one person infect four, or if you limit it through social distancing, one person to less than a half a person. That is how you keep it from growing. Is that accurate? Is that fair? Do we believe that? What's your what's your take on social distancing? What studies have you seen on social distancing? Actually, um, that's one of the few areas that, it just, I haven't felt like it was worth a lot of my time. Mm-hmm. Um, now, don't get me wrong. Um, you know, I've never wanted to wear a mask, but that doesn't mean I'm inconsiderate. I can go in a grocery <laughs> store and never come within 10 feet of another person, right. much less six feet. So, <laughs> so anyone who is, you know, well, frankly, anybody really in a grocery store, I've just, I've just given their distance. And, and I'm, I'm more than happy to do that. And, You're not and hugging everybody, right? But, <laughs> but if you go back to our, our previous conversation, <clears throat> it really doesn't matter how much distance I give them if the person in front of them touched an item that they subsequently pick up that has the virus on it. So, you know, I I think it's really limited what that can do for you um, just because of the fact that 
I still believe that all viruses transmit primarily when they're placed in the mouth and in the nose. And every doctor would have agreed with that before 2020, but you know, some may argue that it's inhaled now. And I'm not saying that it never happened when it was inhaled, but like I said, I went in a lot of flu rooms and, uh, you know, I just didn't eat after them and, and I didn't get sick. So, so my experience is when, when I ate after my kids who brought it home from daycare, yeah, I got sick. So mm-hmm. it, it's when it goes directly in your mouth or nose. That's been my personal experience and, and I don't see any reason to, to change that belief. Yeah. Per- perfect example. Bubba's talked about this. My wife has taken care of me with COVID-19 both my sons with COVID-19 and has never tested positive or had any symptoms of any kind. Um, she interacted with us. She took care of us at one time, like you were talking about, you do sometimes. My doctor said, look, go ahead, let, get, get through it. Let's share, get the antibodies. Uh, she's going to get it anyway. Y'all go back to, we, we got back in the same bed together uh, and all this, and she never caught it. Now, in, in fairness, in the early days, we did separate to a different room. Sure. So it may be, it may be, and I wasn't sure, con- sure, contagious right, yeah. anymore. You wasn't polluting but, anymore. But she was bringing me food. She was taking care of me. She was checking them. My son, she really got involved with taking care of him, yeah. you know, because there's that maternal instinct. Not as much me as him for some reason, but <laughs> but uh, but you know what I mean. Mom, I do. She didn't back off right. and say, I, I'm staying away from his room. I won't go near there. He's downstairs. I won't. She was taking care of him. She was feeding him. She's been around three different people that went through the entire run of COVID and has never gotten it. Um, I don't know why that is, but it may be back to what you're saying. She probably didn't drink after anybody. She probably didn't eat after anybody. She probably took whatever we ate with and either threw it away or, you know, immediately put it in the dishwasher without touching it. Maybe had, she did wear gloves right. some. So, um, so, so that almost this, hey, everybody's going to get it if you're anywhere near somebody. And, and she does have old blood. I don't know. I mean, there's so many things. I don't know why she doesn't seem as susceptible to it as the rest of us were. Uh, but we might have been the way we lived our life versus her that was the difference. Yeah, I, I, you know, obviously there's – No way to know. But yeah, I'm, yeah, there's all kinds of stories I was kind of making like your point about you – know. Yeah, and, and I, I will say this. Um, having been as involved as I am in treating it, uh, I've seen this disease change. And from August until November – the typical story was one person in the family. Mm-hmm. In November, it was four out of five. It, it was a very strange and dramatic change. Now, by November, and I'm sure you've already heard of, you know, gain-of-function testing. Oh, yes. Uh, uh, yeah. So, so the, the, the reality is, you know, if they made one, what if they made another one? You know, I don't know. But the, the change in behavior of this virus is very dramatic, and it's almost like you can put a, put a pin in the day when it starts doing different. And, and I suspected something was quite different in November. Two days after I had that discussion with my wife, they discovered the UK variant, right? right. And then now this one's a- acting differently. It's the Delta variant. So um, I, I obviously, I don't know, but I do know that the gain-of-function testing on this took place over decades. That, that's not debatable. It absolutely took place. I've definitely sent that information to, to Speedy before. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, if another one leaked or whatever, I, I don't know. But, but I, I do caution people to be careful with this virus because the natural course of a virus is it gets more infectious, less deadly. And I can't rely on that because this is not a naturally a gain of function research. Yeah. Because of the gain of function research. So so just be careful with it. But but if its behavior changes, you know, then you know, unfortunately, I'm I'm no longer surprised because I've seen it happen three times. So let's it, talk, okay. You you want to jump into antibodies or vaccines? Well, one more on the gain of function. Is that research necessary? Because the whole concept, from what I'm hearing from Dr. Fauci, is 
we do this to be prepared for the future for pandemics to limit it. But it's like playing with nuclear material. Once it's out there, it's out there, and yep. it only takes one mistake. Also found it strange that it was only going on in China. Is that because it's illegal in other parts of the world? Well, it started in North Carolina. And um, then after a certain point, they decided that for, for, for reasons I could elaborate on, you know, and just speculate, um, they decided to move it to China. But, but one, one possible reason. <laughs> like maybe it's uh, too dangerous to have around people. <laughs> but well, one possible reason is that, you know, they did not feel like it was ethical to do here. Mm. Um, and so that, you know, they, that was actually one of the stated reasons that they moved it. But they moved it to China. Um, but, but the gain-of-function experiments um, definitely took place. And the, the premise was we're getting ready just in case it evolves this way in nature. But, but the point of it all was let's be ready for it. Well, how ready was Fauci for it? Because didn't he say there's nothing we can do until you're so sick you go to the hospital? I, yeah. if, if he did it to get ready for it, he didn't do a very good job with it. Yeah, the stated right. so, reason for doing it was a massive failure. Yeah, it, the stated reason for doing it was a, a complete and utter, yeah. there's no evidence he got ready for it. So, you know, that I was like, wait a minute, if you got this to, to be ready if it happened, that, that didn't work out very well. So let's talk natural antibodies. Yes. It's almost like if you, if you bring up natural antibodies, people just, as my brother calls it, they get two blocked. It's like they don't know how to comment on it. Yeah. I we've have had it. We're over it. We've been tested. We have antibodies. How well are we protected? Yeah, and because we know. And for how long? Because we yeah. know they were wrong when they told us the antibodies would be 90 days. Yeah. That was completely wrong. Completely wrong. Yeah. You, did, you just had yours tested. You still have them a year later. That's correct. Bub and I have them seven months later. Yes. We, we still have them. Yes. So do antibodies protect you as well as the vaccine? Well, I mean, my feeling is they protect you significantly better than the vaccine. And, and you know, the thing I, I mentioned earlier, I said, we, we will come up with other things that, you know, up to 2019, everybody agreed on this. After 2020, <laughs> the world changed, right? So one of the things that changed in 2020 is natural immunity is not the way to go. I, I mean, that, that's been the way to go forever. So that's probably kind of the final straw for me where I'm like, okay, I, I just can't even listen to that approach anymore. If you're going to tell me I can't make antibodies from the whole virus better than you can make it from a single spike protein, I don't, I don't even know where to go with that. So, so I, I believe in natural antibodies. And just as a confirmation from, from today, um, you know, I opened my email and it's 612 from Medscape. The article was Pfizer immunity wanes after six months. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but all I know is at 612 this morning, that's what Medscape told me it was going to do. I had back, I had just went over with you. I had it in August. I tested antibodies yesterday. Just let me find out. Still got antibodies now. But even if I didn't have antibodies, the reality is I would still treat my COVID patients in person if, if I have that opportunity, if I needed to, because the T-cell immunity for, for coronavirus is very good. And that we know from, from previous uh, coronavirus outbreaks like SARS-1, the, these people still have T-cell immunity today. And, Doc, let's be clear. That is the filing cabinet that the body keeps. Correct. Anybody, antibodies will roll off Correct. because that's exposure-driven. Correct. The T-cell is when your body files that away in the filing cabinet, and then when it sees it again, it goes to the cabinet. Oh, there it is. Let's make antibodies yes. to fight it. Yes. Now, now I want to clarify. What I did not say is that nobody who's had COVID will not, you know, will not get COVID again. All no. Right? no I, we, I, we know right. people that that's I, happened. Yeah, I definitely didn't say that. Um, and I... I may have treated my first patient who's had COVID for the second time about 10 days ago. I started treating her. She, she believes she's had it twice. The reason I don't know for sure is, you know, basically 
the last month they've said, okay, we've just decided that the testing we've been using isn't very good. You right, know, right, it, right. as a matter of fact, it's so bad we're not even going to let you use it anymore. So, so we don't even know. We we know like pro- high profile cases like Nick Saban. We've seen the false positive, and he's like, no, no, I'm coaching that Georgia game, <laughs> and they proved it was a false positive. But but the average person gets a false positive and a cold, and they say they've had COVID. So I don't know what the real rate of reinfection right, is. Right. That's what I'm um, saying too, because yeah, a lot of times these people knows. that claim. They had it twice. They didn't have their antibodies checked, so we don't know if they did or not. We don't know. And in Israel, yeah. in Israel, what we're seeing, you know, the most recent data I saw from there is half of the people being diagnosed are vaccinated. Four percent have been vaccinated within the last 14 days. The other are unvaccinated with one percent considered reinfection. So, Doc, l- let me ask you this to, to the vaccine again. Very respected doctors we've had and we talked to said natural antibodies fine. But the, the one produced by the vaccine is stronger, lasts longer, and is broader to handle the variants. Okay. Can we, can we, I mean. Okay. Yeah. Um, so th- th- that, now this is the people wanting you to, I, I, to get the shot. Let's stop. Let's come back. Yeah. Let's, we'll come back. Okay. I, I, I can tell you. you, you <laughs> no, I can answer that. No, I know I'm you I'm ready. Can, but I want you to answer it because okay. I, want, I, want to, I want to set it up again okay. to be sure everybody understands what <laughs> yeah. we're about to say. Okay. Yeah. All right. So we'll come back. All right. Uh, more with Dr. Williams on Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. All right. So uh, Dr. Williams is with us. Bubba just said to you what we have been told by people in the medical field with, with great credentials. Of course, people with great credentials tell us this isn't true. You have great credentials. <laughs> and we were told, yes, you have the natural antibodies, but go get at least one dose of the vaccine anyway. And Bubba just said it because the vaccine has actually a broader protection than your own natural antibodies against the variant. All right. So here's my question. I was told that this Operation Warp Speed was a medical miracle, that they got this ready in 10 months. Did we all agree on yes. that? Yes, yes. At what point during that process did they stop and add the variants? I, I don't think the whole— I, I mean, That doesn't make sense to me. Right. I mean, literally, I've, I've had people tell, you know, people you know, that have asked me about, you know, getting the vaccine or not, you know, well, it's going to protect me against the variants or whatever, and I'm like, Really? This was the most rapidly developed. It was, it was literally considered a true miracle they got it done this fast. I don't think they had time to stop and add variants as it went along. And, and I believe it's based on the original virus. So, so if, if I got the original virus, the whole virus, you're just not going to convince me that I don't have as good or better antibodies than, than any vaccine they can come up with. And on top of that, I just told you, you know, Medscape says, nope, it lasts about six months for Pfizer. Get ready for your, for your booster. I'm I'm good a year out, you know, so I, and, I find that it's, I'm and, good. And, Doctor, I think you made a key point there because I heard another doctor making this argument on a national show. The ver- I mean, the, the vaccine is based on the spike protein, which is the shell that the virus is in, not the nucleus. Mm-hmm. That would have took longer. Mm-hmm. It could have been done, but that was a longer process, and this was rushed. And not I don't think but, carelessly, but they were yeah. trying to get it out. I understand yeah. that. If... If you have natural antibodies, it's based on the whole virus. Correct. Yeah. The vaccine is based on simply the spike of the shell. Correct. And and that's why Dr. Peter McCullough, and he he you know I I won't go as far as he went because I don't have the credentials. He right. Does. I understand. But he said, and for that reason, now that the variant the spikes are smaller, uh, because it's it, it it's mutated. Know, it, it's mutated, and therefore he says. Even if the vaccine did a good job against the original version, alpha, alpha, it, it can't do the job here because it's not designed to. Your natural antibodies, because it has the whole virus, 
can actually handle a variant better than the vaccine because of why way it was designed. That's not a dig yeah. on on. Right. It wasn't designed for a variant because, like you said, in ten months, how could that even be? No, they couldn't. They couldn't have done that. And and you know, you know, I, I you know, I personally, you know. I'm not sure exactly how effective the, the vaccine is. Um, certainly there are, you know, story after story about, you know, we got eight Yankees tested. All of them were vaccinated. They're the positive people. We've got Texas Democrats fleeing Texas with the variant, uh, with the variant, giving it to somebody in Pelosi's office, you know. So, mm-hmm. so it doesn't seem to be, you know, protecting, you know, when you just look at the, the public stories. Uh, of course, the, the the big claim to flame is, you know, that it's going to reduce your chance of being hospitalized. Yeah, that was die. my next question. Um, but that's it's kind of a difficult thing to measure. You know, it, you know, it's like, well, how do I know that he was less sick or whatever? Um, I, I do know this, that the, you know, other countries data um, in terms of like hospitalizations are, are significantly different than what you're hearing from from our press. Um, and, um, you know, uh, some of that data was based on some some kind of broad assumptions, you know, like here's your number and we know these were vaccinated and we really don't know anything about this. So we're just assume they're unvaccinated. And all of a sudden you got this real high percentage. But but I don't know how the, all that's reporting is being done or whatever. Um, but um, I definitely know people who are unvaccinated and very sick. Yes. So I think they should be treated. I know people who are vaccinated and very sick. So I think they should be treated. For me, it's not about, you know, let's let's fight over this vaccine. Let's treat it, people. It's let's agree that we can help people, and there's people that want to help people, and let's do those things. I'm glad you said that because on the, on the show we were just saying that. Yeah. I think we're down to this, and you seem to be confirming this. We have treatments. We need to use them. We need to use them aggressively yes. because apparently now that the variant's here, there's only so much we can do to keep you from getting it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Doc, let me ask you this. I, and I, we had a story this morning. Uh, England, who is ahead of the curve on right. us with Delta, right. has seen their numbers start to roll off. Right. So even though the – and this is what I think scared everybody. The, the angle of the curve was steeper than it was with Alpha, and they thought, oh, my gosh, we're going to have much worse than we had. But is that true? Is it not turning out to be the fourth wave that everybody feared and maybe just more of a – of a you know of a spike as opposed to a full fourth wave. Yeah, we we have seen that in pretty much every country that's ahead of us. Um, is that it is coming down? Um, now, unfortunately, we're not in the coming down stage. All right. right? And, and right. I'm going to tell you, I think I've made it abundantly clear. You know, I, I do not underestimate this disease. And right. um, you're not saying it doesn't no, exist no, and it's not no. dangerous. Um, right. I I back in January was treating about four patients a day. I treated four people before 10 o'clock yesterday. My first call today was at 741 this morning. So the numbers are, are going up, and, and they're real, but I do agree that it'll be about a one-month thing just because that's the way it's looked all, the, all around the world. And, and I don't know, you know, I, I do think it's scary, some of the individuals who are getting sick, but uh, I believe in the natural antibodies. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure, based on what I've seen, about, about a quarter of what I treat are, are, unvaccinated, are vaccinated, but the people that kind of listen to me are less likely to be vaccinated. So, so that's going to skew it anyway. So I'm seeing people vaccinated and unvaccinated and I'm treating them both the same way. They're both responding the same way. Um, but um, yeah, I don't think it'll be as big of a spike because I think those of us with true natural antibodies should be more protected than if we didn't have them. Right. This, uh, the, the way our medical world is, uh, is stacked in from a corporate standpoint 
Is that hurting the way we're doing this? Because it, it looks to me like if you're in a medical group and you have, you know, a vertical system where you have the head and it's medical and they own hospitals and they own physician centers, that some of these decisions are being made at the top and force fed to the doctors and they're just barking it back to us yes. as opposed to them actually. And I, I'm not wanting to down these doctors for that. I understand there's a there's an economic you know, factor in this to stay in business and pay your nurses. But is some of this causing part of the problem? I think that's a good point. You know, uh, Dr. Simone Gold, who I'm sure you've heard of, you know, she was fired for writing hydroxychloroquine. That, that's fairly preposterous, you know, a, a very safe medication. Right. Uh, at that time, you could have filled the same dose for, for lupus and nobody would have thought anything about it. So it wasn't that she was writing dangerous medicine. It was just a policy decision by that hospital. Um, so, yes, um, there's no question that if, if a corporate head says we're not going to use these treatments, it, it prevents them being used. So uh, as we wrap up, if I want to go get the research that you've been doing, where, where would I get it? Okay, so what we've done, there's a group of us, uh, and these are just, I mean, these are great folks. I mean, they, they have worked their tail off, helped every patient. We don't, we don't ask people what their, you know, what their preferences are, what their political affiliations are. You call me to be treated, you just get treated. I, you know, I don't really care. We just want to help as many people as we can. Um, and, and we're called Physicians for Alabamians, all right? And uh, alabamaeagle.org has allowed, to, uh, has said they would set up a website for us, and, we, you know, we kind of, We'll, we'll build this as we go, but if you do on the issues tab and click, click COVID-19, and then soon we'll have a Facebook page, uh, Physicians for Alabamians. All right, so alabamaeagle.org, and uh, click what when you go the there? Issues tab, you'll click on COVID-19. And, cl- and click on Interesting COVID-19. discussion, Dr. Williams. It is, and, and we're learning as we go, but uh, the key is don't panic. Uh, we, we certainly have treatments. Uh, and, uh, and and they are available, and we need to use them in the combination yeah, be of the aggressive. Yeah, that yeah. Probably our biggest rejection is that they've told doctors to tell people we will do nothing. That is not what a doctor should do. A doctor should not tell people we will do nothing. The doctor should say, I will do everything I can to help you. And so, you know, frankly, that's been a big part of it, the fear, the hopelessness, the isolation, keeping people out of the hospital. Uh, I've spoken to our city council five times. I've asked for two things ever. Help me get people back in the hospital and help me teach other people how to treat this. So, you know, I, I just, I'm going to go with that message. We're going to help as many people as we can. And, and with, uh, you know, we're going to try and educate some more. Thank you very much, Dr. David Williams, for being with us. And thanks all of you for joining us on this edition of Rick and Bubba University, the podcast.